Oh, Chicago. Chicago yeah, was great. Me. Yeah, it was good. It was a really nice trip. It was, I mean, you know, we can get into all of the details. It, it, it was really nice to travel and see people and play in a big tournament, although not as big for a couple of reasons as, you know, a tournament with this prize pool and eight pro tour qualifications on the line not as big as you would think it would be but i thought they sold out like was it not just huge well they sold out the convention but the tournament the 75k you know it's a 75k it's more or less a gp they had like 1200 slots for it there ultimately ended up being like less than 500 people in the event for two reasons one i think that the fact that the con was sold out like two weeks ahead of time meant that a lot of people couldn't like decide last minute or if they were locals or whatever and realize that it was happening they couldn't just decide to go because the con was sold out even though the tournament was not also just the the total price was very high because entry for the tournament was 150 dollars, and then you also had to pay to get into the convention on top of that and also this was a gp that day one was a friday so a bunch of people just wouldn't be able to make that work so all of that like swirled into a perfect storm of like this gp-esque tournament that's one of only like two or so tournaments of its type in a year that should be very popular being just not that well attended that's that's kind of bizarre i don't Did they have day three on Sunday or did it, was yeah. this finished? The, the top days? eight was separate on Sunday and they had it in the pro tour area. Now that the pro tour wasn't happening there, not in the feature <laughs> match area. It was just yeah, yeah. In in the, the, the area that the Swiss was in. Yeah. Tour. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. did watch the pro tour coverage quite a bit, actually. Yeah. I need to go back and watch that. I'm looking forward to it. <clears throat> I mean, we can just start the episode because I really want to talk about the tournament. Yeah. We're really just starting. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome to episode 332 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hi Lee. Hey Chris, did you see that we incepted our slogan into the minds, the hearts and minds of some of the listeners? I did, I have seen that. I, mean, I don't think that was even on our Discord that that was revealed. I think that was in the Dominaria, Dominaria's Judgment <laughs> discord that we saw yeah. <laughs> the inception has happened you can't you can't hear grindcast without immediately thinking of spikiest podcast in all of central North carolina that's pretty reasonable i don't i can't really either and it, i think it's fair for it to have happened on the discord as we are unofficial sister podcasts at this point i feel like our our audience overlap is the venn diagram is a is a circle or something like that yeah there's there's like a few competitive podcast discords. They all kind of crisscross and yeah. flow you together. You see some familiar faces, which speaking of which, I got to meet a bunch of people who listen to the podcast over the course of the weekend, including some people who are 
you know names that pop up in the discords and, and twitch chat and so it was cool to see people you know in in person who i have chatted with online and it was really cool to just meet people who said hey i listen to the podcast and you know not everybody spends a lot of time on the various magic the gathering internet locations but everyone who came up to say hi and to say that they like the podcast i you know thank you so much for for coming up it really made my day uh every day of the magic con so it was really cool i appreciate it very much yeah i'm I'm actually looking forward to the like mid to late spring or early summer portion of this year because there's mm-hmm. a ton of events kind of just like in that stretch of time that are all very close there's like richmond yeah. dc there's the gathering a like number two gonna be actual in durham which i will definitely be making it to this time i think so i'm really looking forward to that one so i'm excited to to get out and go to some of these tournaments and hopefully meet some people yeah it, it's just really nice i i hope that i i tried to make sure that everybody who came up to me like we got to actually chat for a little bit and not just like oh cool thanks like you know i had time to talk to people so i wanted to make sure that i did and it was really nice I don't really know where to start. Magic Con was fun. So you went to Chicago, huh? <laughs> yeah. Chicago was cool. The city was great. Have you been to Chicago before? No, I don't think I've ever been to Chicago before, actually. Like, thinking about it. Because even when I was actively traveling to a ton of tournaments, mostly that was East Coast, Star City Games. Or in Europe. SCG Tour stuff. <laughs> yeah, or in Europe <laughs> when I was there. But the Midwest stuff was really not not in my general stomping grounds and i would mostly not go to gps that were that far away so i I definitely haven't ended up in chicago before for a tournament Um, but it was really nice i mean i always enjoy being in a city with public transportation i was able to just get on the train from the airport and get into town and it was very easy and i have a deep appreciation for that the food was very good on the last night i got to go out to dinner with jesse we've we've always meant to actually spend time hanging out and doing stuff at events but it's usually just chatting for a minute in between rounds so it was very nice i got to cube with her and go out to dinner so that was good and meet some of her friends just the city itself is very cool the tournament started at 11 a.m both days for some reason so one of the days I just walked to the event site because I was staying with uh, Kane and Dom and Mark, all of whom were in the Pro Tour. So they had to be on site by like 9 really a.m. Really early, yeah. Yeah. So on day two, I didn't really want to go in that early. So I got up and, you know, ate some breakfast and stuff and then walked to the event site along the lake trail, which just like is the edge of Lake Michigan. And you just, sort of it was chilly but sunny out so it was one of those like very brisk wintry walks and it was i don't know it was really nice it was super pleasant yeah i i've never visited chicago i've been in chicago but that's because that's mm-hmm. where the airport is and all my time in chicago is like you know 20 minutes combined or something not counting the yeah. airport <laughs> sure <laughs> so i never got the, the the full chicago experience 
I definitely haven't gotten it yet because a lot of my time was spent in the convention yeah, center. Course. But I, I did get out in the city a little bit. I had, you know, I had lunch with uh, Jake in Chinatown because that's where they were staying. And that that was you're, you're just like in Chicago, in Chicago, in Chicago. And then you're in just like theme park Chinatown. <laughs> it's very strange looking and very surprising. Yeah, Chicago is a very big city. So, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in it, a lot of things that are their own thing for sure yeah there lot lots to talk about there well how do you want to do it do you want to talk about your tournament do you want to talk about pro tour how do you want to kind of order this yeah i mean the the pro tour stuff was all kind of happening in the background to the, what i was doing like i kept hearing small things like i saw like the metagame breakdown including that there were like 12 people on Rakdos Vampires, and everybody was like, Rakdos Vampires? Vampires? What's that? What's Rakdos Vampires? And I was like, hmm, do we really think that, like, the thing that Rakdos Vampires needed was one more gigantic thing to cheat in with Soren, and then, like, three drops number nine and ten after Fable and Soren? But I was clever and didn't fucking tweet about it. So it helps being at a tournament. Yeah, I had way too much to do, so yeah. I didn't have time on my hands to be a moron on Twitter. I did feel half vindicated when the Vein Ripper stuff started coming to light, because when we were looking at the card, I'm like, I think this card is powerful if you can cheat it into play. But I was looking at the reanimator yeah. stuff, so I was clearly way off the mark. Sword's just a way easier way to cheat it into play. I didn't even think about. And and I think that like for a while we were always anytime there's a, a new big vampire it's like that eh, might be a thing with Sora. we did it for and like it the just... stupid xander card which is the most unplayable garbage i've ever seen yeah and and we looked at that one and we were like no this card sucks like it's just worse to cheat that in than champion of dusk and also you can't cast it like there's no way that this one's good but we at least did that thought process for a while we even did it for maverin and galta it was like yeah. this is technically a vampire like you could do it and then it just never was the thing it never was enough and at some point we just stopped thinking about it until finally there is one that is good enough vein ripper in play is really really tough to beat it's also tough to kill because you have to have the creature in play to pay the ward it's also kind of sick that uh your fatal pushes turn into counter spells when they right, target it. if they only have one creature <laughs> yeah and and also that like like if you have to kill a vein ripper and sacrifice a creature like built in you're at least getting drained for four and when the deck has reach and is relatively aggressive like that's a significant amount even if things go great for you and you have the kill spell and a way to sacrifice a creature like that it still is a rough trade sometimes so yeah good job to i don't even know what technically what team it is I think now it was former Channel pantheon or yeah but the yeah congratulations to them for figuring that and out and winning the pro tour too best deck of the tournament yeah yeah and seth won the pro tour with it and uh really impressive performances not that much more impressive than just stock phoenix though which just had a 57 percent win rate in the pro tour i am not shocked also i see i've been having this crisis of conscience for the last i don't know four or five months of pioneer where mm -hmm. i don't think lotus field is that good of a deck anymore mm -hmm. but it's really good against Phoenix. Yeah. <laughs> and so it like has this cap on how bad it can be. 
because Phoenix was so good and it's so everywhere. Yeah. It was the what the most played deck in this tournament? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. I think it I think it was like 17ish percent. And then you had mm-hmm. blue white and Rakdos mid-range at 14% a piece. This is all from memory, so you know, fact check me, but yeah. It all sounds right to me. It doesn't sound wrong to me at least. But yeah, Phoenix is whew, deck is real good. Yeah, I don't know how much longer Treasure Cruise has for this world. I mean, again, Pioneer. every day I wake up and be like, can we please ban the Delve spells? I, it's ridiculous that they kept printing cantrips into Phoenix. And the, the I get that the deck is like high agency and fun to play, but it's also kind of miserable. <laughs> yeah, it really depresses creature strategies in a way that there's no real way to address it from that side of the table like the card thalia is okay but on the draw it's not that good and every piece around it is not strong like the, the it, it, it it's too good at killing creatures and just powering through lots and lots of different things with the power of treasure thalia cards. is a card that was printed in like 2011 and it really shows yeah. And I don't know what you can print that's, like, better. I mean, Phoenix is just doing a fundamentally, like, really powerful thing out of... It is kind of funny, though. I was talking about this with Dom. How, like, there are some decks where it's... You don't really know what you could ban to really bring the deck down to size. What's, like, reasonable to ban... Kind of like Gre- or, uh, the scam package. Yeah. Right? Like people, everyone had a different card they wanted to get rid of. Exactly. Before they banned Fury. And with Phoenix, like that's, it's different in two ways. Number one, it's obvious what the busted card is. Like Treasure Cruise. Treasure Cruise is just nuts. Uh, and number two, you actually could just ban literally any card out of Phoenix and the deck would become significantly worse to borderline unplayable. Like Phoenix disappeared more or less until Sleight of Hand was printed, and then it became a 50, 57% deck. But also, like, if you don't have Fiery Impulse, then the deck isn't nearly as good at killing creatures efficiently. If you don't have Lightning Axe, it also loses that efficiency, and you don't have an efficient discard outlet for Phoenixes. Obviously, if you get rid of any one of the cantrips, we're back down to eight cantrips, which isn't enough. So it's it's a deck that exists only because of exactly the pieces that make it up exist. You could ban Picklock Prankster and everybody would have to go back to pieces of the puzzle, but that would be fine. It's like, whatever. You still have like Daniel or uh, Goldicott saying that that's the way it should be built. Anyway. <laughs> I had, had dinner with Daniel <laughs> stubbornly, and and he was pretty much like, I, I think ultimately nothing in the deck matters as long as you have four treasure cruises. It was his like, exactly reasoning for it. <laughs> um, I I do think there's a very specific thing happening there, which is when you have a high enough win rate with a deck, it becomes very difficult to distinguish like the gaps between card choices sometimes and i think in particular picklock prankster slash free the fey is easier to play with because it's cheaper and it's instant speed and pieces of the puzzle like requires you to make a big sorcery speed commitment and so people who are very very good at playing the deck like goldicott are going to play pieces of the puzzle on the correct turn the vast majority of the time and it's going to be pretty good for them and maybe sometimes better 
than Picklock Prankster. But in games that get scrappy or in games where you're just not quite as good at assessing the perfect moment to cast this three mana sorcery speed spell, it's much, much easier to play Picklock Prankster and making small mistakes with it aren't as devastating and the punishes just aren't there for it. So it it requires sort of a lower skill ceiling to make the card really good. And so I think that that means that the vast majority of the time, this cheaper, slightly less powerful, but more flexible spell is just going to be better. But when you're at the top of the skill ceiling, you kind of like make up that gap a little bit. And that may be why Goldicott remained like the lone <laughs> hold holdout on pieces of the puzzle, even through the pro tour. But uh, talking to him, he, he, you know, it's not because of a specific, like, I'm convinced this is way better. It just was a little bit better for him and his experience. And again, there's always the, yeah, four, four treasure crews. Yeah. What else matters? Makes up for everything. Exactly. <laughs> Congratulations as well to Simon Nielsen for just pulling off an impossible okay. run. I need to talk about Simon because I... First of all, I love this man. He's such a great influence on magic, yep. I think. I agree. He, this is also his fourth top eight in a row. Yep. Back to back to back to back. Impossible. And if you're not familiar with the story, see, I was in Chicago. I was working on Friday. And I'm in my office on Twitter, as you do when you're working. <laughs> and Depends on the type of work that you do. But the type of work that we do, we're... we're could, cushy office yeah. email job guys as i do mm-hmm. uh and simon tweets about you know it's it's really early he's gonna bike to the pro tour this morning because he's got plenty of time he's plenty of time the next tweet is 40 minutes later that says i got lost i'll see y'all in round four because again the first three rounds of the pro tour are draft yeah so if you miss the draft, you don't get to play any rounds. You lose the first three rounds by default. You don't have a deck. Uh, apparently, Christopher Larson like ran interference with the head judge and told you know Simon's on his way. He's biking here. He's found his way. Like we gotta delay the tournament. Uh, you see tweets coming from like Dom over the intercom. Simon Nielsen, please report to your draft pod. <laughs> And then the next uh, tweet from Simon I see is burst into the hall, sweating, sat down at my draft, <laughs> fired it off. We're ready to go. Yeah. And then he didn't he three zero his pod after that. I don't know. It sounds right because he did. He was doing really well early in the game in the day, but as soon as I like saw that saga unfold, I'm like, God, I really need Simon to win this pro tour. I really, really need him to win the pro tour. It came pretty close. This and this this top eight was definitely a wellspring of stories we had our first seven game match in a pro tour top eight yeah thanks to boris or forcing draws against amalia yeah. combo that was pretty nice yeah though i i will say the graphics department let us down a little bit they only had graphics for game one game two game three game four game five so when game one finished and they went to game two which was 001 mm-hmm. they flashed the graphic for game one again because they just like couldn't go the distance (laughs) (laughs) yeah our coverage technology is not prepared for amalia unfortunately that would have been such a good gag if they'd had it ready though oh my god like how hard can it be you know i do know that coverage was pretty bare bones 
for this tournament. We did we were missing stuff like hand, we had no hand spotters and and just the staff was much smaller. Tannen wasn't there, that sort of thing. But a lot of it is coming back for the next pro tour, which is also not attached to a Magic Con is like a standalone pro tour. Well, this is the first pro tour after Hasbro's yeah and big layoffs. layoffs. Yeah. And that certainly impacted all the coverage. Definitely. And I, I guess I just don't understand, like, if they cut all this stuff, why is it coming back? I mean, I want it to come back. I don't I obviously don't want any of it to be cut, but it's it's very weird that it's like cut temporarily. But then they're like, don't worry, we'll have hand spotters at the next one. Uh, can we just keep them and just like consistently have the quality of coverage that we started getting used to? Because we were on a roll with cover. It was getting better and better. And, you know, a bummer to see positions get slashed like that. Yeah, it, it sucks. And it happened a lot in, you know, this December yeah. or previous December, this January, through a bunch of gaming industries. It was very sad to see kind of all around. Yeah. Oh, my God. We're- Mark Tobias just made a third post. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're past the meme at this point. This isn't even a second post has hit the timeline. This is. I need him. I need him to stop. He needs to like walk away. That's right. I forgot that this was one of the pro tour stories too. Oh my god. I wasn't aware of it until somebody made a joke because I was hanging out with with Mark and introduced him to Jesse and Jesse's like, oh Mark, like. You're not Mark Tobias, canceled Pro Tour player, are you? And I was, I didn't, I didn't know what joke she was making, and then I had to look up what was going on on Twitter. Yeah, it was. It's been a rough few days for Mr. Mark Tobias. Um, in my seventy-five k, in in my last round of it, Jarvis mentioned like Jarvis was my opponent. And he said, my tiebreakers are a little better than yours. I don't know if you want to scoop. And I said, I think we should play it out. He said, okay. And then we played our match. And that's how normal Magic the Gathering players deal with that type of situation. Yep. I mean, I we, we had discussed this when it was hitting the timeline, but I always am just cool playing a game of Magic. Like at any point. Yeah. You don't even have to give me a reason. No. For no, you know, absolutely not. Not drawing, not conceding, whatever. I don't care. Just you know, we're here to play. <laughs> Let's play. Pretty, pretty easy, pretty clean. I like distinctly remember in RCQ where like top eight mattered for my opponent, but I could draw and he couldn't. And he like hemmed hawed, or not that he couldn't, it's just that him drawing may draw him into ninth. Hmm. But he was pretty sure he couldn't beat me because of the matchup. Yeah. And so he hemmed and hawed for a little while. And I'm like, dude, we, we can just play. It's fine. You don't have to like keep apologizing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. And I, I think we've created this sort of culture where it's like you must scoop if your opponent has something in particular on the line and you can give it to them. But like we're all here equally positioned in this tournament that we signed up for. Nobody deserves anything. If you want to play, you can play, and that's totally fine. And there has there doesn't have to be any reason behind it. If like you know, it's funny that it came out that Mark's opponent was Jim Davis, who got a Pro Tour invite by winning that match, and like that's funny that 
like none of the things that Mark was saying about it was true. But even if his opponent was somebody on their first pro tour who didn't know if they would be qualified for another one, but wanted that match win in case it was relevant for adjusted match points later on, or just because they wanted a better record in their first pro tour or whatever, like that's also fine. You don't, there's no, you don't have to scoop to anybody and getting salty about it on Twitter is I, I appreciate how universally condemned it was, at least. Yeah, it reminded, well, part of that may be Mark's demeanor. Yes. I think this did remind me of like a, a little controversy, a mini controversy several years ago in Melee, like Super Smash Brothers Melee, mm. where at the time there was like an established core group of like four to five players who was way better than the rest of the field. Yeah. Right. At the time. The, uh, things have narrowed a little bit. The Smash but, Gods. Right, right. And there was like argument that these players should just like skip pools entirely and just get buys into the bracket. And everyone was like, no, we're not doing that. That's not how we've ever done it. You're on an equal footing. You've got to win your matches. Like universally. Yeah. And that's just how tournaments should be treated, whether it's melee or magic. Yeah. I mean,. We're all just here to game. We're all here to play the same game. That's it. It's fine. I mean, there's there's many, many pro tour things that could be talked about, but I don't know that there's anything in particular that, that we should hit on before I can just kind of go into some like my experience of the weekend. I will say one of them tiny little story. I'm so glad like Christopher Larson also made it to the top eight yeah. after holding up the tournaments for Simon and losing to him in the Swiss. They played again in the semifinals <laughs> and had one of the most entertaining camera matches uh, in Pro Magic in quite a while. They at one point, I don't know if you've managed. To see I haven't it seen I it yet. Busy. No, I need to catch up on coverage. So, for a minor spoiler, at one point, I think it was, I think it was Christopher wrote on like this blank piece of paper, "Danes don't block," <laughs> and whenever you know someone would make an attack, he would throw it down or give it to Simon. Or, you know, just they would just keep playing with this paper. <laughs> and at one point, you know, Christopher made a lethal tag and Simon grabbed it from across the table, threw it down. Everyone like had a chuckle. It was, it was funny. And that was just like a one of the little things they were doing. Yeah, it was a very cute game because they're they're friends. They're countrymen. Yeah. And and also both. Uh, I haven't interacted a ton with either of them, but I've spoken with both of them and played against both of them and had only uh, like completely positive experiences they're both like fun good guys yeah that's that's the entire vibe they brought to their match <laughs> and god i was devastated when simon didn't win the finals yeah i mean seth is a powerful mage though playing a very good deck so it's you know we, we love to see simon win but this seth has you know been a hard worker for a very long time and there's a reason that this is his second pro tour win yeah, I'm not trying to take anything away from Seth. Yeah, yeah, he he won the pro tour. He's just not as but, big a personality as Simon is. I I really wanted Simon to get it. <laughs> I get it. I'm allowed to pick favorites on a spectator. Sure, of course. Yeah, that's part of the fun. Well, do you want to go over your tournament? Yeah, or any more pro tour things you can think of? I'm sure that I will think of some as because I was like going back and forth as as much as I could. I mean, my my rounds were like standard is just a pretty grindy format so most of my matches were taking 40 plus minutes to finish so i didn't 
always I, I I only had time to like go back and forth between where I was playing in the Pro Tour area a couple of times. But I was trying to go back and forth and sort of see what was going on. Yeah, my tournament was fun. As I said before, it was much smaller, clearly, than they expected, both because of how much it cost and just the limited availability of tickets. And also starting on a Friday, I just don't think is a thing that makes sense for an open cash tournament. I think you just restrict your audience by a lot. It also started at 11. The tournament hall didn't open until 10. And also because of the way they lined people, they had to line people up to get in. They didn't want to just let everybody in all at once. You couldn't even really get into the tournament hall at 10. There was still like time to to get your stuff together from getting into the hall and starting the tournament. It was okay. It wasn't the best, but it was okay. It was fine. Uh, the thing that was really weird was that you had to submit your deck list before the hall by 10 a.m. before the hall opened. So you couldn't guarantee that, you know, like I placed pickup orders with TOA and I wanted to pick up one or two more cards, but I couldn't guarantee that like I could find a Kaido Shizuki, right? That I probably could, but maybe nobody brought a $4 rare to the site and I couldn't find it. So can I register a Kaido Shizuki? I don't know, but decklists were due before the tournament hall opened. So there was no way to find out if you could find a card. And also if they, if someone had screwed up your order, you just didn't have your deck then. And there was nothing you could do to repair it. Maybe you could go to a judge and ask because the tournament hadn't started, like ask if you could change your deck list. I don't know, but the deck lists were definitely due an hour before the tournament, which I think is not the right way to do these things if the hall isn't even open by that time. Yeah, that that's a little rough. Did you did you register the Kaido? I did. I found a Kaido. I, I put the call out for it on Twitter and uh got very lucky that somebody was able to lend me one for the tournament and yeah so that was nice and we were we were all set from there but you know wasn't sure if it was gonna happen uh, it, you know it wouldn't have been the end of the world if i couldn't register the kaido but this is what i wanted in that slot the tournament itself was pretty fun i started all of my opponents with the exception of like one were super super pleasant super friendly I uh, met multiple people who like we recognized each other from the internet and then we got to play or just we introduced ourselves at the beginning of the match and had fun playing magic. I just the the vibes of the tournament were really good and I started 2-2, which wasn't the best, but then I rattled off four wins to make day 2 and then did pretty well on day 2 as well, although I had a rough match against Domain where I had I had Mulligan to five. This is just a bad beat story. That's all it is. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I, had, I had Mulligan to five. I clawed back into it with that Kaido Shizuki as the, the all-star of that game. Yeah. Uh, just drawing me cards, and I probably bottomed the wrong card because I had... Like, I, I kept a, a piece of hand disruption where I probably should have just kept a two-drop Kaido and three lands to just, like, clock as hard as I could and draw as many cards as I could. And so that may have cost me. But ultimately, like, I did claw back into it, got to a spot where my opponent was hellbent, and I had two bats and a Kaido in play and a disdainful stroke and a negate 
or a disdainful stroke and a Tatana's Tidebinder in my hand, and my opponent is Hellbent. So I'm like, fantastic. I think I think we're gonna get there. And then my opponent rips Archangel of Wrath. So I have to Tidebinder the trigger that's hitting my bat with a Sunfall under it. It's like, all right, all right, we're a little less like locked in now. And then the next turn, my opponent plays Archangel of Wrath, and that one's pretty <laughs> devastating. But then the next turn, my opponent plays Archangel of Wrath, and that one really mm. gets me. The the classic triple Archangel on the yeah, top. Yeah, that, that was <laughs> tough. And my opponent didn't need this, I don't think, to beat me. I was already like pretty deep in the hole. But, yeah, their, but it definitely helped. <laughs> their next play was their last Atraxa, because I had milled two of them. But then the, <laughs> it was just four <laughs> angels in a row on top of their library, and that was too many angels for me to beat. But CCR, what about your Disdainful Stroke you mentioned? Oh, well, you see, there's this card that got printed into Standard called Cavern of Souls. And so Disdainful Stroke actually only counters their Sunfalls and their Invasions of Zendikar. Oh, because it was real an weird. angel. Yeah, because it was an angel. <laughs> I played against Jarvis in the last round of Swiss, and he had brought tokens with him, like an angel token and a Phyrexian processor token to oh, like, indicate the cavern name, which was, you know, very good board management, very clear. I haven't seen anyone just bring like tokens, but that's a really good way to do it. Yeah. Because they're card sized. A lot of the problems I have with like, so Clue or Markov Manor has a bunch of punch out things. And so does Akoria for like lifelink counters or flying counters or suspected and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And the problem with all of these things is they're not card sized. So it's really hard to just have in a deck box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They just get lost. Also the, the little putting them onto a land is like really awful. You don't want like a little small piece on top of a, like, this is what we had with counters and vivid lands. Like it was just awful. Yeah, but I've blasted zoned so much that I am annoyed but immune to it, I guess. (laughs) Like, once you've played with, you know, two blast zones and three wilderness reclamations for, like, four turns, you're just over the concept of lands entirely. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to tap these for mana anymore. That's fine. Yeah. (laughs) So I was 10-3 and going into the last round. Uh, played, got paired against Jarvis, and it was probably a win and in. It wasn't very clear, for, like from tiebreakers, what would happen. His tiebreakers were a little bit better than mine, but because he did top eight after beating me, I'm just gonna call that match a win and in, and say <laughs> that I lost my win and in for top eight and the pro tour invite because that makes me feel a little bit better. So uh, when I saw that Jarvis was top eight of this tournament. Mm-hmm. at this point we had the full the full top eight breakdown and i'm like okay great i can root for jarvis who's his opponent in the quarters no nope, you can't cft socks oh, this is rough <laughs> so the legend of cft socks deck kept growing over the course of the tournament as did the number of cards in the deck with each telling <laughs> well so i heard it originally as 68 card slogurk splendid reclamation I, I did have to, like, I was talking about it because I had gone and watched some of the games because I was like, I really must see this. And it I was know. very impressive. And I, you know, it was a little tough to follow along if you came in halfway through the game and, you know, there's like a pile of new Capenna fetches in the graveyard. And it's like, OK, I assume, you know, it makes 
some amount of sense. These go well with Aftermath Analyst and Splendid Reclamation. I don't know exactly like what's going on here. I know we've got Slogurks. I know, okay, there's a Nissa. All right, I'm like starting to put this together, but I had to like look at the deck list to really get how it worked. And I was glad that I did not have to actually play against them in the tournament. As I was describing the deck to somebody, and I was like, yeah, it's like an Aftermath Analyst, like Splendid Reclamation deck. And the person that I was talking to, like, very confidently told me that, it, well, it's not a Splendid Reclamation deck. Splendid Reclamation is not in standard. Oh, but that, that card's in Midnight Hawk. Yeah, that card. It's one of the Innistrad. It's in one of the Innistrad sets, and it's very much in that deck and provides a level of redundancy for that deck that keeps it, allows it to get up to large amounts of mana very early and is... <laughs> Despite blue-white control being a heavily played deck in the meta game, this is by far the best deck at flashing back memory deluge in standard. <laughs> Man, how confident can you be at any point in time that Splendid Reclamation is not, is not in standard? Right, it could because be the it. only way you would it could be in literally every set. Yeah, and you would it, just like not know until someone's playing a crazy deck, and then you'd sorry, be like, bro, oh, yeah, that was, of course that was in the last jumpstart set. Yeah, it was hidden there secretly. No one's been playing it because they wanted to save the tech for nationals. <laughs> so, you know, kind of the legend of this deck grew over the course of the tournament. I kept hearing other things about it. I, I you know, from from the beginning, it was described as 68 card Slogurk, which is pretty not an unreasonable way to describe it. But really, it's an aftermath analyst deck combo deck. Yeah, yeah. And. If you're interested in this deck, you'll find your way to it of your own accord. But the combo... It's, ge it's honestly genius deck it's building. It's just brilliant. It's just so smart. And, I, you know, we've waxed poetic about CFT Sock on this podcast before. But this, like, you must have 12 new Capenna Fetchlands in play. And you have now milled your entire library. And you are sacrificing Aftermath Analyst. Get it back with Takanuma. Get Takanuma back with Slogurk. Recast the Aftermath Analyst with, with this Nissa in play. Now we're netting one mana on each. Like, this, this is nuts. This is incredible stuff. And it's not only... This what? is it, what you're describing right now is like what someone has wanted to do in their like commander deck. Like this is their their goldfish. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do the thing. Yeah, and it's not something. It's like this will win a 75k uh, standard tournament for sure. And it didn't just win the 75k, right? They walked through it like one yeah. loss in the Swiss, and then you know played against Jarvis on domain in top eight. I don't think this deck can lose to domain. No, I think no. it's impossible. It's so good against domain just doesn't interact with anything they're trying to do at all. Yeah. And like Jarvis at least had a sideboard with a lot of options. Like he has a lot of Tishana's Tidebinders in his 75 and stuff that could possibly do a thing, but it's just such, such a mismatch. And to, to build this deck that is functional and then, it also just is good against a lot of the decks in standard and is able to win games. And obviously CFT Sock is playing it at a high level as well, but uh, just really impressive stuff. And probably my story of the weekend, like, like just watching this machine of a deck, just like pummel everything in its path. Uh, I, I thought it was just really phenomenal to see. Yeah, I heard about 68 card aftermath analyst. I didn't even know it was a slow deck at the mm -hmm. time. 
uh, it was described to me as 68 card aftermath analyst. I heard about this on Friday and I found the tournament in melee, which is no small task. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Even if you're for, registered, it's like kind of hard sometimes. Typed in CFT socks name, tried to look at their deck list, not an open deck list tournament. Nope. So I'm like, huh, okay. I'll just simply keep refreshing this page every day until the top eight's <laughs> over. <laughs> it was, I was, at a certain point, I was more interested in just like watching the standard 75k for that deck than I was uh, the non top eight portion of the Pro Tour. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it just was really cool. This is, Magic recently has been a place like where weird. Or, or at least like the new deck is winning tournaments, like relatively consistent. I, I don't know that just like stuff pops up and is the thing like there's just so much energy around deck building right now. And I don't know if it's the size of formats or just the types of cards that are available or people are just getting into it. But uh, I, I appreciate it. It's so, it's so fun. Yeah, I think it's nice. Like the the pro tour at large has always been kind of a little punishing for trying out new decks um like we saw rakdos vampires which was a not a known quantity uh, and it was a good innovation from cfb but it's not like a radical mm -hmm. shift to an existing deck uh it's a change i am confident like people would make would find organically Eventually, in like a month yeah yeah of, of magic online play constantly and stuff like that yeah somebody would put vein drinker into the vampires right. or into and then it would get evolved Soren. into from there yeah exactly like maybe you'd see a mono black vein drinker soren thing and someone would lose to it and be like all right i'll just play that with what's i thought Rister, with good cards from there right? yeah but but whatever uh, but we're seeing a lot more than that. Like um, Sanctum of All for the Pro Tour brought Jeskai Creativity mm -hmm. in Pioneer, which is a retooling of the the old Creativity deck, uh, incorporating a lot more control elements. Yeah, honestly, than it's previous versions. It's kind of a retooling of blue white control almost honestly, more than it's yeah. a retooling of of Creativity. But yeah, yeah, uh, coming to because you know. My problem with creativity for Atraxa was always that you kept drawing all these dorky cards like big score and like a three damage removal spell and stuff. And you're super late in the game and these cards aren't good anymore because you just had to mess up your deck so much to make creativity work. But you put it in a full fledged control shell with cards that are good throughout the entire game and just use this as your draw engine. And now, yeah, I, I really like this deck. Yeah, it was nice. And Jason Yee made to a uh, an eight and two record with yeah. that deck They're just like doing very well i know that they said on twitter that they weren't that confident in their deck uh before the tournament started then they rattled off just a million wins in a row and they're like oh maybe, maybe this deck's pretty good yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah kane worked with them on this deck too and was very i i think very happy with it going into the tournament and i i like the deck definitely performed and looked powerful to me um also want to shout out nasif for thank you yeah <laughs> having access to the vampires deck just that that was the team deck of recognizing it as good and probably the deck that he should be playing choosing to play 
his signature blue black control deck in pioneer that you'll see on any nasif stream and yeah. just go in eight two and constructed with it just it, one of the best constructed records yeah the best constructed record in the tournament is nine and one <laughs> there's only two players with a nine and one record then there's the eight twos <laughs> and nasif is up there yep one nasif outperformed every rakdos vampires on his team except for seth unreal yeah it's it's wild i this is like i i don't know i've been saying this pretty consistently like gab is at a late stage in his career he's done everything that you can possibly do but he keeps playing so much magic that when he turns it on like he just he's still the like among the best in the world and just phenomenal player and does a really good job of recognizing especially with decks that are he's really familiar with and like are kind of his baby but making these little changes to living end and to demir and pioneer and then just skill gapping his opponents because not only is he very good but he's playing these decks that he has a deep familiarity with and there's maybe one or two people in the entire pro tour that can run up against Nassif in like a control mirror, which is a, a very common matchup in this pro tour, and be like, yeah, I'm I'm cool here. I can I can hang. Nassif is dominant in those kind of games. Yeah, for sure. Blue eight control, not the standout performance. I think that kind of generally bringing the control deck to the pro tour is not going to work out the best for you. And I think that one of the well, reasons sorry go ahead uh, no no finish your thought finish your thought I'll, I'll go later well so so the current state of blue white control in both standard and pioneer it is such an answer heavy deck it rewards meeting out your answers correctly but the main thing that really determines how a game in a is going to go when blue white control is involved is how well the blue white control opponent plays and the blue white control and standard is really really good against players who are newer are uncomfortable with the format or don't understand how to play against control it gets worse and worse and worse the better the player is who is playing against blue white control and generally i saw them like dropping out of the top tables like as the 75k went on jesse did really well with it but jesse is very very good uh i think that these control decks like share this level of uh of what they are good against and mostly what they're good against is exploiting players who don't know exactly how to play against them and once you get to the pro tour you're going to run short of those opponents pretty quickly and not not that this makes blue white a bad deck in pioneer or even a bad deck at the pro tour necessarily but you're losing some of what it really exploits and gets its edge against which is that it benefits more from your opponent making mistakes and not knowing their plan over the course of a long game than other decks do yeah i think with control decks historically of the pro tour they are at their best when they are also playing some of the best cards in the format mm-hmm. so for instance uh the first one that comes to mind is shoda's win with unplayable grixis control at pro tour <laughs> kaladesh yeah playing a 
like Unlicensed Disintegration and Torrential Gearhulk, which were very standout cards of their format, but people hadn't really caught on to that yet. Mm-hmm. So he was just utilizing those very well. Uh, and then the five color control, like Nasif nonsense back in the day, where you're also just playing all the best cards in the format. This control deck for Blue-White doesn't really have that sort of thing. Right. Like the Wandering Emperor Teferi are very good cards, and you have very strong answers. But it's always like the proactive cards that finish the game that are that pull you ahead the best, because yep. they're not subject to being played around. Yep. And right, in in the words of Kane That's... Reinhardt, Teferi's kind of washed in 2024. <laughs> <laughs> That's That's why I like Phoenix generally better than blue white control mm-hmm. I, I think i before we had spoken to mark i thought that he should play phoenix i believe i told him that i would recommend he play phoenix instead of blue white but i didn't want to push the issue because i didn't test the format at all mm-hmm. like what do i know and phoenix is a control deck in pioneer but it has the free threats that you just get to string along which i think makes a world of difference yep yeah and that probably is the biggest difference as much as i want to say it's a like Treasure Cruise versus Memory Deluge difference. Memory Deluge is actually also very, very good. But yeah, being able to pivot, to attack Planeswalkers, to punish, you know, my opponent played three Shocklands this game, so I'm just going to start attacking them with Phoenix. Like, all these things. That... And sometimes you just otherworldly gaze or consider and get like free an extra value. free Phoenix you weren't consider, you weren't, weren't planning for. And you're just like, oh, well, yep. I guess we're doing this now. And then pivoting to that. And Mark would 100% agree with you. After the Pro Tour, he said, I should have played Phoenix. And then he registered Phoenix in the Sunday re-CQ. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's it. It all comes back. <laughs> it's it's just the best, you know, stock deck of the format. Although, there was a non-stock version that I believe was the best performing version of Phoenix that main decked Ashiox because it's a main deck hate card for the mirror and a main deck hate card for Lotus. And also, while not the best thing to draw in other matchups, at least dumps cards into your graveyard that you can use to fuel treasure crews. So I think that that sort of very specific and powerful metagaming can pay off in a small field like the Pro Tour. I, I did hear about the, the main deck Ashiok. I don't remember who it was. Uh, but I know it wasn't the like top of the Phoenix leaderboard mm-hmm. because spoiler alert, the two nine one decks I mentioned were both is it Phoenix? Yeah, neither one played uh, Ashiok. No, they were just in, in the main board. Bare stock Phoenix was like the best performing single deck of the weekend. <laughs> For all all the work that you can do in Pioneer, you just come back to Phoenix at the end. Oh, side note for uh, touching on the C very briefly again. When the metagame percentages came out for which decks were part of the field, the Frank Carson tweeted out, there were two decks of 14%, like I mentioned earlier. It was Blue White Control and Red Black Midrange. And Nassif tweeted out, look at all of these people, 14% of the tournament wasting their their <laughs> um, time on an unplayable deck. Which which 14%, Gav? <laughs> which 14%? Look, misplaced Ginger desperately asks <laughs> uh it turned out both was yeah. the 14 because rectus regular rectus midrange sans vampires and blue white control both had sub 48 win percentages in this tournament yeah 
And I don't think that blue white control is unsalvageable. And if you are a blue white control player, then sure, play it at your next Pioneer tournament. I think it's still a solid good deck. Agree. But maybe don't take it to a pro level event. Uh, Rakdos, I think just if you're trying to play Black Cleave Cliffs, just play Soren. Like it's just a better version of that type of gameplay. That's, that's and that's kind of what I was alluding to when I thought Rakdos would be good. The, mm-hmm. uh, in the in the previous episode, I thought pro, pro players would gravitate towards Rakdos and find a build that was going to be good. And I didn't know what it was going to look like. I would not have ever guessed Vampires. But I think it's just like a given that some Fable the Mirror Breaker midrange deck with a high agency would be part of the pro zeitgeist. So it didn't well, take like, yeah. And, and important stat fable of the mirror breaker has now won the last four pro tours oh really i didn't even realize that yeah yeah it's card strong <laughs> it's really good another reason to root for simon in the finals <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> where's showdown to the skulls pro tour win <laughs> it's a little less powerful than fable of the mirror breaker yeah yeah all right so for my tournament itself, I played Demir. I was quite happy with my build. I think that this standard format, you know, a, a matrix, a matchup matrix has been circulating around that basically every deck is it's 50%. Like completely yellow. It's completely yellow. <laughs> there is no way to like get an edge on the format by picking the perfect deck for that weekend's metagame because at best you're picking a deck with like a two or three percent higher overall win rate than the deck that you put down for it and you're probably losing those points by playing a deck that you're less familiar with so i think that this standard find the deck that you enjoy playing understand your matchups understand how to tweak it for particular matchups like my builds for this weekend was significantly different than the build that I had been playing before. I went, I've you know cut all the spyglass sirens. I've cut the subterranean schooners, and I have just a slightly different threat package. I leaned into like cryptic coats and stuff because I was really finding that I got a lot of traction by wasting my opponent's mana when they were holding up removal was like a big part of the deck. And cryptic coat is also if your opponent leaves up go for the throat and you play cryptic coat then they still don't have a go for the throat target yeah um my it was very weird day two i played against almost exclusively aggro decks i just played against a bunch of toxic and convoke (laughs) there are a lot of good aggro decks in standard yeah i i i would have predicted that convoke would have like pushed toxic out more but i still played against toxic twice on day two they have like pretty different matchup profiles, which is pretty interesting. Right. Toxic and Convoke. It's just that Toxic and... can't beat Convoke. Is the, the... Right, yeah. It's it's really bad in the heads up. But there are enough different decks, mm-hmm. like they're different enough in playstyle and in matchup profile that it makes sense to me that there could be equally popular. Yeah. Yeah. Like you can't build your domain deck to beat Toxic. But on that matchup matrix, domain was favored against Convoke. And like that's one of the reasons that Jarvis played it, because you main deck a bunch of temporary lockdowns, and now you're a sweeper deck, and Convoke isn't fast enough to get under your sweepers, whereas Toxic uses its counter magic and just like clicking in for a damage or two here and there. To, it's Skrill's to Hive. 
Yeah, it's Skrull's Hive mostly. <laughs> I asked my I asked each of my toxic opponents like, "You're not on the three main decks, Skrull's Hive, are you?" And they're like, "No, no, no, four four main deck. That's the best card in the deck." We've we've that, that ship has sailed. Yeah, I don't we've think seen that's the thing anymore. We saw the dancing Skrull and all the PT graphics, and we're like, "Yeah, this is this is the card." Yes. <laughs> Your tournament. Yeah. So I played against a surprising number of aggro decks day two. I drew kind of mid i drew so few passive peril but i just drew like just enough removal and clock and then had like some weird enough weirdness going on i i beat one of my convoke opponents who was incredibly fun match super super friendly uh and we were just joking and having fun most of the time but i i beat him by turning my invasion into a sanguine evangelist and then battle crying to deep cavern bats to gain four and <laughs> deal a bunch of damage two turns in a row very cute yeah it, it felt it felt nice because the the sanguine evangelist also creates another blocker and so really insulates you have i told you this is a tangent have i told you that clones are just like some of my favorite cards you because of random interactions like that you didn't have to tell me that i'm yeah like pretty i aware. keep putting them in random cubes and i just i just love them they're, yeah. they're all just precious they open up i especially you know when you can copy your opponent's stuff or stuff in your opponent's graveyard and they just open up these interactions that you never would have gotten before and it's really when you spot them and you're like oh that's gonna make the difference this game it, did you, you see good. how I beat Collins in the the cube draft? We we both did. No. So he had a Yogmoth in play and a bunch of tokens. Mm -hmm. And I need to. I'm losing if he untaps this Yogmoth, but I have no removal. I'm playing a blue white control deck. So I play a, a surgical metamorph, which is a clever impersonator clone. Like you can copy anything on the board. And. I'm waiting for him to like see if he wants to sack anything before Yogmoth comes down. Cause that, you know, the double, if I copy as Yogmoth, the double Yogmoth like dichotomy is really weird. Mm -hmm. Cause Yogmoths can't target each other, but they can target other creatures. Yeah. But if they uh, target they another have... creature and then you sacrifice that creature in response and they don't draw the card, it's just like lots of nonsense going on. Yeah. My board was not quite big enough at the time. So he's like, yeah, that's fine. So I clone his. Planner Disruption that is enchanting my Rona. <laughs> and if you're unfamiliar with the rules of auras, when an aura enters the battlefield but you didn't target anything to enchant, you just have to pick something that it can legally enchant and enchant it. This doesn't use the stack or target. So I was able to like slip a Planner Disruption underneath Yagmoth before you could use it. <laughs> That's so sick. I yeah, clones that can copy anything really have you know they open that universe up even wider. That's the I I love me some clones. I was, that's why I was such a big fan. Maybe a biased fan of Invasion of uh, what call it? Can't remember the name of this plane. I oh. want to say Invasion of Lazatep. <laughs> invasion of Amonkhet. <laughs> yeah, that's why I was such a big fan of Invasion of Amonkhet when I saw it in the deck list. Uh, a long time ago before you like ran with it yeah and and honestly although i do think it is quite good the thing that keeps drawing me back to it is just that it's really fun to use invasion of amonkhet i was playing against Ractos reanimator also on day two 
I was able to flip an invasion of Amonkhet and add my choice. I could either copy my opponent's Atali, pretty good, even as a 4-4, still pretty good. Or I could just copy my own Aklazots, the back god. And I looked at my options and I thought, I don't think he can beat unkillable Aklazots, the back god. I think that's significantly better than Atali that could miss and then dive to a go for the throat. So let's let's go. And spoiler, that was not one of the matches that I lost. And what's the paper ruling on Aklazots being copied by Lazatep? So it didn't actually come up because my opponent drew their removal spell finally, and it was an anoint with affliction. And he called over a judge just in case and was like, I think I know the answer to this, but what's the what's the mana value of this card copying an Aklazots about God? And the judge was like, it's five. And he was like, okay. And then after the judge sat there and watched the rest of our match. And at the end, he was like, do you know what happens when invasion dies while it's copying a back god and i was like oh yeah i i promise you i know that interaction <laughs> we'll tell it for the podcast oh sure yeah so so the invasion comes back so aklazots when it dies it returns to the battlefield transformed when it's an actual aklazots it comes back as the land just like the other gods and then you can transform it back into an aklazots when it's an invasion copying an aklazots it returns to the battlefield transformed so it comes to the battlefield as the backside of the invasion, which then copies anything that you want, including the Aklazots again. Because this card does not exile, it just it's a body double. So you just mm -hmm. body double so it the text is effectively when Aklazots dies, return it to the battlefield tapped. And there's not a lot it, you you take them out in the Sunfall matchups, but outside of Sunfall, there's not that much exile removal in the matchups that you want your Aklazots in for. So that one's sticking around. Yep. It's a nice, a nice little interaction. But continue on your day long before I derail us on clones again. Well, so the you know, the slops part of my tournament report mostly goes to being located right next to the main stage of Magic. Everyone's everyone's slop of the tournament, it, it seems truly truly awful game nights live was going on as we were playing the there was a significant amount of just crowd cheering and yelling at various commander plays i guess i'm <laughs> glad that people were having a good time and honestly the crowd cheering to me wasn't that bad i know that you know, other people may be more sensitive to that sort of thing. And I, I totally respect that. What really got me was the emceeing and very loud microphone work, including like laughing directly Feedback. into the microphone oh. and peeking it. And I found that to be like deeply unpleasant and I could not tune it out. And most of that was happening while I was in the middle of this like very lengthy, difficult match against an Esper opponent and like we had a lot of stuff going on in that match and I was really struggling through it and I think my opponent was too. Yeah, that that does suck. I know a lot of people have complained about that. I I mean, yeah, I'm not the only one. They day 2 they gave us 55 minute rounds and the reasoning that the head judge gave us for that was that it won't be noisy for more than 5 minutes per round, so I guess it's just shut down for however long they are being noisy and keep playing when they are quiet. 
that's I mean I mean thanks for the extra time. I but. don't I don't know that they had a better any I don't know that they had anything else that they could do about it given how stuff was set up already. You know, definitely a boon to some of the blue white control players in the tournament who probably would have ended up you know, there there would have I'm sure there would have been a, a another draw or two along the course of the tournament if we were playing fifty minute rounds. I, I played flush Blood tournaments this past weekend. I was very out of practice, but that's irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I like about that game is it's best of one, and you sideboard before the game starts, right? There are 55-minute rounds, but if you sit down and your opponent sit downs, and you can just like start sideboarding before the clock starts, mm-hmm. you like can get the whole 55 minutes for the, the match. Actual game like, play. It feels like cheating. Yeah. <laughs> because you don't shuffle you you rarely shuffle in that game so you're not like it's not a lot of dead time mm-hmm. it's just if you can sideboard really fast before the judge starts the time you're you're good to go let's play the game 55 <laughs> minutes yeah we are not so lucky we gotta play no. often three whole games with a bunch of shuffling and stuff in between yeah and i know kane i think is keen to increase the round timer generally Mm. but I don't think there's been a lot of uh, support for that. Yeah, I've I've heard it suggested, but I'm not sure that it, it doesn't seem likely to ever happen. Just like as cards get more complicated and board states get more stressful. I think cards have gotten more complicated, but they've also gotten way more adept at ending games, which mm-hmm. is nice. Yeah. Like Modern Horizons, bunch of complicated cards, and also Hogak. I mean, a bunch of the complicated Modern Horizons two cards were pretty good at extending the game. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't pick that set for a reason. As my example, <laughs> I played one game against Esper, but I played a lot of games against Esper. There was a lot of Esper in this tournament. Let me tell you, yeah. uh, which I think is reasonable. It's a good deck like well balanced and it draws a lot of people to it yeah i did not no i did lose i dropped one match to esper this weekend but i won i think three i think i went three one against esper i i played one game where i landed a malcolm and then my opponent went to kill it on my end step and usually malcolm is not particularly just a 2-1 guy it's just a 2-1 it like loots once or twice in the matchup it's kind of a liability because of fairy mastermind and also because if they're playing spyglass siren that blocks it rafine blocks it but i just like had this weird feeling and i was slightly threat light and i wasn't gonna rely on like cryptic coat to carry me through the game and i had a removal spell in my hand and i just had this weird feeling in my gut as my opponent goes cast go for the throw on my malcolm at the end of my turn after taking a hit off of it i was just like my opponent really wants this go for the throat to resolve or else they would have just like spewed it off in combat and seen if i fought over it or something like that so i make disappear on my end step to counter the removal spell which is kind of spooky because they could possibly land yeah what if they are a wedding announcement deck or something like that and it was just like well then i lose but I, my gut is telling me counter this removal spell. And then 
three turns later, I'm discarding Invasion of Amonkhet to Malcolm with four counters on it and just like absolutely riding this kind of kind of mopey creature to victory. Uh, which I don't think that's a play that I would have figured out to make if I hadn't been like super deep on this deck and just gotten these sorts of reads of like, oh, this is a weird play to end of turn your removal spell on my guy. And I think given my hand and the likely way this game plays out, I actually am supposed to counter the spell. So that felt really nice. What did not feel nice is the game that I lost to Esper because I duressed on turn one instead of holding up cut down and then got batted and then got refined and just like everything cascaded. And it was just like, that was just wrong. That was just really a mistake. And I, I should know better than to do that. I, I didn't know necessarily that they were, ex that they were, they had played a Rafine's tower, which could be multiple things, but probably is Esper mid range. And I should have just left up cut down for bat. And there's, there's kind of just no excusing that because duress is great on turn four too. So yeah, it's, it's quite good. Like <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, we, we we make some great plays and we make some less than great plays over the course of the weekend and we learn things and, and that's fine. Yeah, no one plays a perfect game. I had a really interesting decision that I had to make against Jarvis game one, which was a really close match. Uh, he won the die roll, which is only really important for one reason which is the interaction between up the beanstalk and fairy mastermind when you're on the draw if you're demir you opponent, a card for free yeah you kind of can't play your up the beanstalk on turn two on the draw unless you're just really willing to like get got and i had fairy mastermind in my hand but i was on the draw and jarvis plays up the beanstalk on turn two i choose to spell pierce it because the way that the game cascades when they have a leyline binding to follow up the up the beanstalk, you just kind of get buried and it's really terrifying. I, I like you just can't win those games, uh, even if you like at some point get to draw a card off of their sunfall. Like you have fairy mastermind, they trigger their beanstalk, but then they get like it. It, it doesn't work out great for you a lot of the time. But that did leave me with no counter magic in hand. And then when he just shrugs his shoulders and slams invasion of Zendikar into my two open mana on turn four, because he's like, this isn't getting better for me. Might as well slam it. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't have anything. I used my spell pierce on your up the beanstalk and then invasion hit. And he had a cavern, which meant that every archangel was going to be devastating. And I don't know, maybe it wasn't right to spell pierce that up the beanstalk. I had a reason for it, but... Uh, I, I, I need to like iterate that out in my head a little bit more, but just, you know, interesting, tiny little decisions in standard can have these huge effects on the game. And I have really been enjoying playing these games. Yeah. I, I really like standard. It's my favorite format right now by like a pretty healthy margin. Mm -hmm. Same. And I really hope I can get the, the 68 cards I need for a specific deck. Yeah. <laughs> gotta, gotta find those new Capenna fetch lands. Oh, look at look at these. Ooh. Got the right. <laughs> Hell yeah. Not all of them. I'm missing a couple, but I have an order on the way <laughs> from Cape Fear. So hopefully, you know, I'll have a bunch of lands for me. But I'm ready. Good. Great. I know how the cards work, which is a big improvement over, you know, someone who doesn't know this. Planner Declaration's legal, for instance. I, I had a feeling. 
when we looked at aftermath analysts i was you had the feeling we i mean we both did to be fair but i like i put it on my list too you know i mean it's a it's a card that i'm a sucker for yeah so no big surprise i didn't foresee needing misses but you know there we go nissa also just not a card that you feel like is in standard yeah because it's a fake set it's in a fake set and has only seen play in modern and it tutors aftermath analyst bust it oh yeah it does (laughs) (laughs) by the way (laughs) that's pretty gross yeah that's sick or it tutors you another copy of your four nissas into your hand yeah but like it's pretty sick when you get the aftermath analyst yeah yeah what else about your tournament so you lost to jarvis and then the game today was over well you know we did a lot of hanging out did some cuban social Ooh, what kind of cubes just play so, vintage cube yeah vintage cubes were the the two that i found i got to play one with thomas gunn and uh i met his friend cameron and we played a cube a a, a large 10 man pod with like some of the dive nice. down guys and stuff it was it was fun it was a really fun casual cube and then i went and played a more serious money draft with oliver tomiko's cube that that's the one i played with jesse i drafted a pretty sweet like reanimator slash sneak attack deck where who's on your squad who's your team uh it was Oliver and two of his friends that were on my team, and I had to play. Was oh, this a four v four? Yes, it was a four v four. But we, okay. you know, we each played. We only played three rounds, so it was best of twelve or whatever, <laughs> which is slightly awkward. But it does mean that your decks are a little more in line with the power level of cube decks generally, and because you know three v threes, there are way fewer cards available, and and so you you don't always get the synergies together uh i had one turn against my opponent who was on a a very stormy slash like wheel of fortune children type deck where I, i i wasn't really sure if i should do this because of the possibility of something bad happening to it but i ended up playing out a sneak attack without any mana up because of the possibility of getting wheeled and then I got time spiraled and that was much better to have a sneak attack in play when, than to get it time spiraled away. And uh, not just time spiraled, uh, he plays out a shield grid and time spirals, takes me to three. Clean 14 damage right there. Uh, yep. But then I am, then he, he memory jars me, but I'm able to put Archon in to kill the shield grid so I don't die. I don't remember if this is exactly how it played out, but I did put an Archon in to kill the Shieldred and try to keep him from gaining any more life that turn was really key because then on my turn, I'm able to put in Emrakul, Gristlebrand, and Vampiric Tutor for <laughs> Troll of Khazad-Doom to deal exact lethal. Going from three to one. Well, the Archon gained me three life. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. But the Shieldred did not get him out of range of the squad. Of the and Emrakul and Troll of Kazadum. The I've cast Reanimate before All Star Squad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, super fun weekend. The Magic Con itself, you know, I was spending so much time playing in the pseudo GP that I didn't do much of the like Magic Con stuff, but most of the, you know, 
Artist Alley is cool, but that's never really been a huge thing for me. Uh, I only have a few artists that I am like particularly into and would want yeah, and to, like signed cards get from. To the, yeah, to the GP. Exactly. Although, kind of a a fine result because I hadn't realized she was going to be there and didn't pack <laughs> my my playset of Magali secret layers. So if she was there and I didn't have them, I would have felt like a like an idiot. So I guess it's okay. But now you're a genius. Well, I I don't think not packing my secret layers makes me a genius. That wouldn't have been too tough to do. This is like the only secret layer I've bought since like the first secret layer. So Oh, don't worry. You can't buy anymore. They're they're all sold out in like the first hour. Yeah, that's okay. I wasn't really planning <laughs> on it. During the Pro Tour stream and, you know, I wasn't watching the stream, but was like getting news that sort of like made its way through the crowd. They spoiled cards from five different sets of Magic the Gathering. Yeah, we're going to have to talk about some of those uh, later. I don't know. This podcast can go long if we spend time talking about five different sets worth of cards. Yeah, I don't think this is a a preview cards podcast, but yeah. But I will I will say they did announce an official day for Modern Horizons 3, which I've been waiting for. Uh, mm-hmm. It's the second week of June. So loving, loving that. Yeah. It's tough to get excited about Modern until that is happening. <laughs> yeah, honestly, yes. <laughs> uh, very excited to see it. Both because it's kind of a lame duck format, knowing that we're getting a Modern Horizon soon, but also because, you know, Modern Loki. It's also kind of sucks right now yeah it kind of yeah it really does it it's just too much of the same thing mm-hmm. and they've are andrew brown has already refused my gracious offer of just unleashing most of the ban list upon the format so i'm still into that but if, if we won't if do not that, that maybe a violent outburst ban maybe i could be convinced that it's okay but i mean we'll see what modern horizons 3 does first of course yeah. Yeah, they're not banning anything for Modern Horizons 3 comes out. No, and I don't and think we'll they have, should. But it'll be very fun the week Modern Horizons 3, and probably the month or a couple months after Modern Horizons 3 comes out, even if there's a very clear best deck, mm-hmm. people will still be playing with all the new cards like all the time. Yes. Like yep. I remember when Modern Horizons 2 came out, the do you remember what the most popular card was on like release week? Asmore. Yeah, it was Asmore, yep. a card we just like don't play barely at all now. <laughs> <laughs> and to be fair, it is fun. Like I, I placed the one of the last modern like two Ks I went to. I played an Asmore deck and I, <laughs> I played well. <laughs> so, I, I, I will say, and not you know, obviously, credit is meaningless. Ideas float around while people were trying to make Asmore work before it became a thing i did tweet out but what about urza saga as the backup plan for asmore and it had it had it wasn't the thing yet and then it became the thing and i feel i feel pretty good about making that call as like it's it's quite obvious once you think about it even for a second but you know i i still feel like like so many people at that time no one was thinking of urza saga until the the second week when everyone was putting urza saga and yeah, every day it is funny that urza saga 
was the week two card from from Modern Horizons <laughs> two, and it's just like the the most busted thing. Yeah, it's so strong. It, it's probably one of the best build rounds they've put into Modern. I, I call it a build round. It it really kind of is, despite being a little subtle about it. Mm-hmm. I, it really does reward you building your decks in specific ways. It does. Uh, in a way that most of other cards in Modern Rises do. Like the really good ones like the Elementals just do not do that. And you cannot put it into a Cascade deck is a really nice feature of it. It can't be in yeah. the same deck as Cascade cards. But we'll, we'll talk about those previews later. I think I am way more excited for Bloomborough than I am for Outlaws of Thunder Junction because, I don't know, all the rodents and frogs and stuff look yeah. very adorable. <laughs> Bloomborough speaks to me. As a red wall kid, my as a you know, there's just a lot going on there. Big Brian Jacques fan. I I am. I think that was his name. <laughs> yeah, I you know was too young to see the race essentialism underlying <laughs> the, the the whole deal, but maybe we'll get back to that. In <laughs> oh God. <laughs> the uh... oh, did you see though that the there. The bad guys in Bloomsboro are like big, mean monsters, but they're like a bear and stuff like that, like larger animals. Yeah. And the person who drew the bear, I don't remember their name, but they're the same artist that did all of the original Pokemon. Is it like Ken Sugimori? Let me find it because it's no, it's Matsuhira Arita. And I know that they did. I, I When you said Ken Sugimori, that's like, oh, yeah, that is the Pokemon guy, too. But I know that. uh Arita Mitsuhiri did a lot of maybe it was just the sprites instead of the actual art. Mm, okay, but I know they were involved in the the first Pokemon game. Gotcha. Somewhere. Cool. Yeah, the Bloomboro thing just has a very deep oh, it was appeal the, to me. The first Pokemon card set they did a lot a of bunch. The art of, in it. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Like including the Charizard that everyone thinks of when they think of Pokemon cards. Mm. Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. But yeah, I'm into this and not only because of the thing where if a human planes walks to Bloomboro, they become a cute little animal. <laughs> that's yeah, I, I want more lore information on that because they left it intentionally vague. And it's very hard for me to focus on the Kellen storyline when I know that there's like a furification field yes. around Bluesboro. <laughs> They've, they're not quite rule 34-ing their own set, but, you know, we've got the Otter Ralzeric, so we're getting there. These, they spoiled an art of a Fox Jace. I don't know. Yep. They didn't give it a name. They didn't give the art a piece of name or anything. So it's impossible to tell if it's like a real Jace, but it is a Fox in Jace's clothing. <laughs> incredible incredible yeah. stuff great outlaws of thunder junction i don't care i'm not here to commit crimes i'm here to like wait for the cute animal set i'm not here to commit crimes either though nathan's card is kind of cool nathan's card is kind of cool and i do like cowboys generally and i took a picture of the oko standee at the convention and sent it to Kristen half jokingly to be like do you think i should cosplay this and she was like i think we can definitely make that happen yeah (laughs) i knew it (laughs) so now you're okay yeah i mean tentative plans to make that happen you just have to figure out a tournament in which you unveil it 
I know, and I don't think it's going to be ready by like Outlaws at Thunder Junction release. No. But I don't have a tournament until like Dallas, and Dallas is in Texas, the most cowboy state. So <laughs> I, I like that qualifier. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're you're 100 right. So you know, what, I remember. Me- I think it was Wit asked, "Do you guys think we can find a cowboy hat in Dallas?" And I said. Yes. Yes, you <laughs> yes, can find a cowboy hat in Dallas. You won't even have to try. You could see it's also not like yes, you definitely could, but also you could find anything in Dallas. Dallas is like a sprawling like urban suburban like amalgamation of a hundred million people. Like there's literally nothing you can't find in all of Dallas. Yeah. <laughs> But the cowboy hats will be like rolling by in the street for sure. Yeah. You just yeah, you just gotta pick one up as you go. Yeah, and say howdy and put it on your head. <laughs> the howdy part is really important. Well, that's how you know you've adjusted to the culture. Yeah. It also keeps the cowboy hat from implanting roots into your brain. You have to say that so that it just sits on top of your head. Yeah, it's it's comfortable there. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't need to take over. Right. It knows you're already like doing its whole deal. You want to talk about anything else? Are we wrapping up? I think we're pretty much wrapping up there. I, I've had we're on most silly. of the stuff. Like, you know, a lot of stuff happened over the course of the weekend, but I think that's kind of the major stuff. If I think of any stories, fortunately, we have a podcast that I can tell them on. Yeah. And I, 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 was happy from home just like watching all the spoilers come out on friday and talking about the cards and then watching the pro tour coverage was really nice and the whole cft sock of it all it was a it was a fun weekend even with me not being there yeah and i will definitely this may not be enough to convince me to go to a vegas magic con but anyone the city is uh right yeah vegas is a huge downgrade from chicago right so but anything within a more reasonable distance and in a place that is a little less like bad to be in than vegas uh like for example my round trip plane ticket to chicago was 150 dollars uh if we can approach that anywhere else then i will strongly consider a magic con it's hard because o'hare is like one I know. of the major airports. I mean, maybe Dallas gets it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, I my Dallas tickets for last year were not too expensive either. Um, O'Hare has the benefit of every flight from here to O'Hare is direct, and that's really nice. Yeah. I mean, some, some, uh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cause mm-hmm. we'll see. Maybe Dallas gets there. Yeah. I mean, I certainly will be in Dallas because I am qualified for Dallas and I'm not skipping it, but I, you know, whatever, whatever magic con happens, I'll at least consider it at this point. Do you know the four out of the next pro tour? Is it modern? It is standard standard. Okay, cool. I'm excited to see. Yeah. CFT saw crush this tournament and it'll be like very close to week one standard because the it's like right after set release. Is it OTJ set release or is it? Yes. Lonesboro? Yeah, wow, that's really close. I, I forgot how closely they put these standard or these pro tours. Yeah, at it's the end of the year. weird scheduling, but that's that's the way it is. That's showbiz. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't have anything else. Nope, neither do I. I think 
It's the danger of not having anything written down for show notes. We're just like, is that what's it? next? Yeah. Are we at the end of the list? Is we this are. it? Is this all we have? I think this is plenty though. It's not like we have the check off talk about, you know, parasitic cowboy hats in Dallas. Oh, you don't? Oh, I should have shared this list with you. Uh, CCR, we've talked about this. <laughs> well, thank you so much to everybody who came up and said hi to me. I am, it was really nice chatting with people, and I, I really appreciate just everyone who's told me, like, that this podcast has made their commute to work a little more bearable or whatever, like that's super validating. And we, I, I love hearing that stuff. So, so keep it coming. Thank you very much. If you would like to lend us some support, head over to patreoncom slash MTG grindcast. I apologize for not having quite as much. I didn't get a journal up last week just because I flew into Chicago on Thursday and then was playing magic on Friday. And it was just, I couldn't get out more than a sideboard guide, but this week I'll, I'll have a whole like tournament report write up and stuff up. So like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if you mentioned this on the last podcast, but when we finished recording the last podcast, you like started editing it immediately, then had to go to bed and <laughs> basically catch your flight <laughs> yeah pretty much. I, I i was right we recorded tuesday evening i started editing immediately mostly finished editing wednesday morning before work and then like i flew out thursday morning so it, it was it was a tight one <laughs> <laughs> that's the dedication that ccr has for y'all yes well i wouldn't want to let let anyone down um, and, and we've had a bunch of people sign up recently too. So I want to make sure to get y'all the bonus content and stuff. So we'll definitely be posting a lengthy tournament report and sort of weekend write up this week and some sort of sideboard guide. I, I don't, I don't know exactly what I'll, I'll probably put some more update to mirror just a little bit based on stuff that I thought about this weekend. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Bye.